Amen. Amen. Good morning. If that time of worship did not bless you, your blesser's broken, as we say. Hey, real quick, uh, again, as Tony said, uh, not too much time yet to sign up for the fall lock-in for our youth. So uh, we encourage you, uh, youth and parents, to uh, take advantage of that great activity coming up this fall. And then I want to ask for your prayers. Uh, I mentioned this at the 11 o'clock service a week ago, but I did not at the 9 o'clock service. Please be in prayer for your leadership as we begin to meet in just a couple of weeks with the architects and builders of our phase two that's going to be going up here in the lot. Uh, hopefully within a couple years, we'll get our new auditorium built so that we can all go back to one service again uh, instead of being in two. So be in prayer uh, for that. Luke chapter 4 this morning, beginning at verse 42. Luke 4, 42. We are in a series, a very long series through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. Several weeks ago, we saw that the story of Jesus inspires passion, inspires wonder, inspires witness. Last week, we saw that through the story of Jesus and his temptation, uh, with the devil, that uh, the same resources that Jesus lived by and lived with, the same resources that he was able to minister with, are the same resources available to you and I. We have prayer, we have the love of God, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we have the Word of God. Now we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, again looking at the story of Jesus, and we're going to look primarily at the healing presence of Jesus today. I believe that every last one of us here today and those who are viewing over live stream this morning, in some way we need healing. We need either spiritual healing, emotional healing, or physical healing, but we're all in need of some type of healing. And the presence of God, the presence of Jesus can provide healing for us in some way. Even if it's like Paul who prayed for physical healing to happen and God said, uh, I'm not going to physically heal you, but I will spiritually oversee you and I'll give you my grace, which is absolutely sufficient. So God's presence can bring healing to us, and I hope that we all believe that today. As we move through the Gospel of Luke, we not only are walking with Jesus, which is what we as believers in Christ are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be walking with Jesus every day because there's, again, nothing like being in his presence and doing life and ministry with his presence. But we also are to walk as Jesus walked, meaning that we are to use Jesus as our example, as our pattern, as our model for how we live life. So as we approach these passages of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, let's remember to do both, to be walking with Jesus as we go through these passages and through our life and ministry, and that we walk as he walked, that we continue to learn how did Jesus do life and ministry because much of how he did life and ministry is to how we're supposed to do life and ministry as his followers. 
So I want to begin actually in chapter 4, verse 42 and 43 and 44, and then I want to go back to the beginning of this passage in verse 14. But I want to start out in verse 42 for a reason. Jesus has just had a couple of days of ministry, pretty intense ministry. And the Bible tells us in verse 42 of Luke 4 that in the morning, Jesus departs to a deserted place, a solitary, quiet place. Jesus here is doing a couple of things by doing that. First of all, he's reminding us that our public ministry, if you will, who we are in public in front of others is directly tied to who we are in private. And we will never have an effective public life or public ministry if we're not doing the things in private when no one else is looking uh, that we need to be doing as God's people. We cannot, though we try as human beings to compartmentalize things, that's not the way God designed his universe to work, and it's not the way he designed us to work. There's no such thing as compartmentalizing with God. One part of us is always tied to the other. The physical, the spiritual, and the emotional are all tied together. They cannot be separated. That's why sometimes when we're suffering spiritually and emotionally, it affects us physically because we're all tied together. And the same thing is true with our public and private life. And so that's why you see Jesus here giving us an example. Even as the Son of God, I cannot have a vibrant, effective public ministry to others if I don't take time to get alone, to get by myself, to get alone with God at times. I've got to have that time, you see, for just me and God and just me in a solitary, quiet place where I don't have any other voices, you know, speaking to me, but it's just me and the Lord. And that's what Jesus did. Now, because at this moment there was so much going on with Jesus' ministry, the crowds continued to seek him as we read in verse 42 and 43, and they won't let him be. So they catch up to him, and they basically tell him, don't leave, stay. And then notice Jesus' response in verse 43. He says, I must, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, for this is what I was sent to do. I want you to pay particular attention to two words in what Jesus says, must and sent. Let's talk about must. One of the things that Jesus is showing us here is that he lived with a clarity of purpose. Oh, that is so important. So many of us, even as God's people, we lack a clarity of purpose to get up every day and know that in this season of life, this is what I know I must be doing. And notice, it's not what I want to do, because a lot of us, even as Christians, we live our life by what we want. And it's not even by what I need to do. No, Jesus even goes a step further than that. He says, what I must do. Let me ask you that question. What is it right now in your life that you know you should, must be doing 
And that that's setting everything else in your life then in its proper place. That's that seek first the kingdom of God. What is it that you and I must be doing? Do we have that clarity of purpose of our life and our ministry? Because without it, we will just sort of like float, wander. We, there will no, not be any clear movement or direction of where we're going and where we're headed without clarity of purpose. And Jesus is saying, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. What is the good news of the kingdom of God? That through Jesus Christ, you and I as human beings can have freedom, forgiveness, and fulfillment. That's the message of Jesus. And you're going to see that message that Jesus is continually giving throughout his earthly ministry. And then Jesus says to them, because this is what I was sent to do. Sent. Meaning that God the Father, while he's here on earth, has sent him on a mission. And again, it's very clear the purpose here. I'm sent. I'm on a mission from my heavenly Father, and I'm going to stay focused on that mission. Listen, every last one of us as a Christian should be living that way. That, that we understand through our walk with God every day, what is my mission right now on this earth? Because every last one of us has a purpose from God. And so many Christians live their whole life without really ever walking with God enough or long enough or consistent enough to figure out what is that mission, what is that purpose that God has for me. Otherwise, again, we just sort of are like the children of Israel. We just sort of wander without any clear direction and clear purpose. That was never true of Jesus. He said, these are the things I must do and this is what I was sent to do. So, in verse 44, we read, what's one of those things that he continued to preach in the synagogues throughout Judea? And we're going to see how Jesus gave priority to the word of God and to the house of God. So, if we're following his example, we should be giving priority in our lives to the word of God and to the house of God. And we see that then if you go back now to the beginning of this passage in chapter 4, verse 14. I want to pick it up there because then that brings us to where we left off last week after Jesus had departed after being 40 days in the wilderness without food and being tempted by the devil. But I want you to notice something we didn't mention last week. It says that Jesus, in verse 14, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Notice something there. He's been in the wilderness all alone. He's been without food for many, many days. He's been tried and tested and tempted by the devil, and yet Jesus doesn't come limping back in to Galilee. He comes in in the power of the Spirit. You and I understand that to a point because there are times in our life as a Christian where God is working and moving in our lives and through our lives, and we're out there and we're ministering or we're, we're in the battle 
but yet we're doing it in partnership with God, just like Jesus did. He was partnering with the Holy Spirit, and he was living and ministering in the power of the Spirit. So he comes back, in a sense, energized, even though he's just been through an intense time of ministry and temptation. You and I get that. In fact, can I tell you that some of us, we get that every Sunday and every Wednesday. After two services here on Sunday, I leave here pretty much exhausted. I leave here pretty much drained, right? And yet there's this weird thing happening too where I'm energized. I'm like, because I'm, I'm so, you know, encouraged and excited uh, about what God is doing in all of our lives and how he's working in our church. So that's, that's a weird place of like physically, I don't want to do another thing the rest of the day, but my mind and my heart and my soul and my spirit are so energized because I've just been part of something that God supernaturally is doing in our presence. And there's something energizing about that, right? Exciting about that. That's Jesus. And then we learn in verse 15 that Jesus began teaching in the synagogues around Judea. Again, we forget that while Jesus was here on earth, he was always teaching the word of God in the houses of God. Always teaching the word of God in the house of God. In fact, in verse 16, we learn that he comes down to Nazareth, his hometown, where he grew up. And he goes into the synagogue. And notice what it says about him. It says he goes into the synagogue as was his custom. Net Bible translation. The word custom speaks about something that is a habit based on priority. Oh, boy, we as Christians today ought to, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus, then one of the priorities of our life should be the word of God. The other prior, one of the other priorities should be the house of God because Jesus was always present in the house of God. Always. And he was ministering in the house of God continually. It was his habit based upon priority. Folks, Jesus isn't just laying this down as an example. These things are taught in the word of God. Go to the book of Hebrews to chapter 10. And what does it tell us there as Christians? It says, let us as Christians give thought, consideration to how we can spur, inspire each other unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but coming together even more so because of the days in which we live. Pretty straightforward. I mean, we're not going to get to heaven and go, Jesus, I couldn't understand that verse. I didn't understand what that meant. No. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing. See, coming to church is a habit that you and I need to develop. And it's one that needs to be based on the priority it should have in our lives. Why? Because Jesus taught us that in word and through his life. It's what he did. It's what he did. Then the Bible tells us that as he got there, that he was going to be one of the teachers that day in the synagogue. 
And so the attendant hands him the scroll of the Old Testament, and it's already open to the prophet Isaiah, a book that we just got done going through. And it happens that Jesus finds the place where in our Bible today, it would be the beginning of chapter 61 of Isaiah. Again, a passage we studied a few weeks ago. And Jesus begins to read those first few verses out of Isaiah 61 that speak about the ministry of the Messiah. And Jesus then, after he's done reading those couple of verses, closes the book, gives it to the attendant, sits down, and the Bible at this point says everybody's eyes were like fixed on Jesus. There was something captivating about this man, right? And then Jesus makes this amazing claim in verse 21 of your Bible in Luke 4. He says, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. In other words, I, Jesus of Nazareth, I am the fulfillment of this passage of scripture. So what's Jesus saying? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. That's a pretty big claim. In fact, what we learn here in this passage of Scripture, and we're going to get to the expression of it in just a moment, is that Jesus making this claim places every human being in a position where we have to make a choice about him. There is no such thing as neutrality with God, with Jesus. Either he is who he claims to be. I am the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Savior of the world, or he's not. But every human being now is forced by Jesus to make that choice about who he is. Think about that. Because even if you don't want to make a choice, you're making a choice. And it's totally ridiculous, because I've heard this said throughout my whole life. It's totally ridiculous, and it's not even a theological ridiculousness, it's just a logical ridiculous, for people to say, oh, I don't believe that Jesus is God, but I believe that he was a good person, a good moral teacher, something like that, a good moral example. How can you say that when the man claims to be God and the Messiah and the Savior of the world? Does a good person go around making false claims? Does a good person go around deceiving other people and saying, this is who I am, and then he's not really that? That's not a good person. You can't have it both ways with Jesus. Either he is who he's claimed to be or he's not. But every last one of us has to make that choice. Well, they're sort of taken off guard. They're a little amazed about what's going on here. That's said, and that word amazed speaks of Ben again, the, the wonder and awe that Jesus evokes as his presence is there. But then they start to say, but isn't this Joseph's son? Because again, he's in his hometown. All these people have known Jesus from the time he was a little boy growing up. He grew up around these people. And they're like, this, this is Joseph's son. And then they say, well, you know, we heard about what supposedly you did in Capernaum. Do it here. In other words, 
we're not believing the things we've heard, which is what faith is. We need you to show us. Maybe the people of Nazareth were from Missouri too, right? The show me state. You, you got to show me, Jesus, right? Jesus didn't buy that because, listen, Jesus doesn't do miracles as a grandstander. Jesus doesn't just do miracles as some, like, you know, P.T. Barnum, like to, you know, woo people and get it. No, the miracles are very purposeful in the plan of God. And so he's not just going to, like, do tricks like magic tricks like somebody on the strip in Las Vegas. That's not our God. So, so then Jesus really stirs the pot. He then begins to give them a couple of examples from the Old Testament that they would be familiar with. He uses two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And he says, here's the problem, guys. I can already see that you're rejecting me. Which can I say, then we have a God who understands what it's like to be rejected. He was rejected by his own people, people that he grew up with, people that knew him best. He was rejected. He put himself out there as this is who I am, and he was rejected. So he, he gives these stories of Elijah and Elisha for this reason. He said, look, God, I, I welcome everybody. All you have to do is embrace me. If you're looking for hope in God, then I'm your answer, Jesus is saying. And if you're open to God, then you just need to be open to me and everything will be good. But if you reject me, then guess what? God's going to find those that are willing to embrace and welcome him. And that's the story of Elijah and Elisha. He's basically saying the Jews rejected the prophets that God sent to them, so God sent them to the Gentiles. Ooh, you can see in that passage of Scripture those people in Nazareth did not like that one bit. How dare you, Jesus? We are the chosen people of God. We're, we're going to be good with God no matter what. You know, it's like very presumptuous of them, very, very proud of them. And how dare you say that the Gentiles are on equal footing with us and with God? There's no way. And so the Bible tells us they get very angry. I mean, really angry. Angry so much that verse 29 tells us they literally try to murder Jesus. Think about this. They take him outside the town and they literally are going to throw him off a cliff and murder him. And, of course, supernaturally, him being God, it wasn't his time to die or in the way he was supposed to die. So somehow he just slipped through their fingers and he moves on. But this tells us a lot about what it's like to walk with Jesus, right? We won't always be embraced. We won't always be popular, but that's not what God calls us to necessarily. That's not what God sends us here for all the time. God sends us on a mission, and Jesus was on a mission, and his mission was to express the truth of who he was and the reality of who he was, whether they bought into it or not. And they certainly didn't. They tried to kill him. So he moves on. We find him in verse 31. He goes down to Capernaum. And what do we find him doing in verse 31? He is continuing to teach in the synagogues everywhere he goes. The word of God and the house of God. 
priorities of Jesus Christ. It's the way he did life and ministry. Beyond getting along with God and getting along with himself and having a vibrant private ministry so that he could have a vibrant and effective public ministry, he also gave priority to the word of God and to the house of God. And the Bible tells us again here that in verse 32, this evoked such amazement and wonder and awe because the people were saying, when he teaches the word of God, he teaches it with such authority and power. And why is that unusual? Because the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of Israel, though they knew in their head the Old Testament scriptures and they could quote you scriptures from the Old Testament and all of that, they were not able to speak with it in power and authority because they did not have a relationship with the God whose word they were teaching. And that authority and power comes from a relationship with God, from fellowship with God, from walking with God. And so they were struck by the authority and power, and they were in awe and wonder of this one called Jesus the Nazarene who was speaking the word of God unlike anyone or anything they had ever heard before. And then we come to verse 33. And just like we learned last week about the temptation of the devil, when God begins to move, when God begins to work, the spiritual world, the unseen world is stirred up. And all of the demonic forces will start to be more active and start to come against those who are trying to do the work of God and bring others into the kingdom and strengthen those who are already into the kingdom. And you find this happening with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. He's always being confronted by demonic forces and by those who are either being oppressed by demonic spirits or those who are being possessed by demonic spirits. And here in verse 33, we read that while he was in the synagogue, there was a man in the synagogue, in the house of God, who was possessed by a demonic spirit. You say, Pastor Jeff, I didn't know that there would be people that would come into the house of God who were being oppressed or possessed by demonic spirits. Oh, absolutely. Maybe you have not known this and Obviously, this is not something I share a lot, but in the 12-year history of the Oasis Church, there have been some Sundays where there have been people who've showed up in our services who have been either oppressed by a demonic spirit or possessed by a demonic spirit, and I've been, through God, very well aware of it. Because you and I carry our spirit, if you will, into our service and everywhere that we go. And I've even dealt over the years, in my 38 years of ministry, with those who have been oppressed by demonic spirits, and yes, those who have been possessed by demonic spirits. And let me say this, at this point, I won't get into this because this isn't what the message is about, but if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living in, inside of you, then you cannot be possessed by a demonic spirit. Because evil spirits cannot coexist with the Holy Spirit. But Christians can be oppressed, annoyed by demonic spirits. You and I can open up our lives to the influence, to the annoyances, to the, to the you know, background noise and all of that of demonic spirits. And that's why we've got to be careful of how we live and what we hear and what we watch and all of those things. 
But this man was clearly possessed by a demonic spirit. In fact, the demonic spirit that's inhabited this man recognizes Jesus right away. You see that in the passage. They're like, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Get out of here. You know, stop harassing us. Don't destroy us. I mean, they know who Jesus is. They believe he's the son of God. As the Bible says, demons believe and tremble, but they're not willing to trust him and follow him. And I love this. What's Jesus do? He's in complete control of the situation. This demonic spirit is nothing compared to Jesus. He begins to speak to this demonic spirit and basically says, silence, come out. And the Bible says the demonic spirit comes out without harming the man. And this man is delivered from this demonic spirit. You see, there is healing in the presence of Jesus. Whether you're right now being oppressed by a demonic spirit in your life or possessed by a demonic spirit, I have been there when Jesus has liberated and released spirits in people's lives because he brings healing. I've seen Jesus bring healing to those who are emotionally in need of healing, whether it's through something hurtful or painful in your past or in your present or whatever and your emotions are erect that Jesus can bring healing and wholeness to your emotional self and he can bring healing and emotion to us physically and spiritually that's who Jesus is he is the Messiah the son of God the savior of the world and so notice again what does this evoke <laughs> the people are amazed they're like, what's going on here? This man, he, he commands demonic spirits and they listen to him. We've never seen anyone or anything like this because Jesus has power and Jesus' message has power and Jesus' ministry has power and Jesus is showing through his life and ministry that he has a power to overcome the things that plague humanity whether they are supernatural or natural, whether they are spiritual or physical, whether they are emotional or spiritual or, or whatever, that Jesus has the power to overcome the things that plague all of us because in him is healing, healing. And so Jesus shows then as we move into verse 38 that he goes from healing a man spiritually to healing a woman physically. Because Jesus can do it all. He can heal us spiritually. He can heal us physically. He goes to the house of Peter. And there Peter's mother-in-law has this very high fever. And notice what it says. It says they asked Jesus to help in this situation. I want you to note that in your Bible. They asked Jesus to help. Jesus is always willing and able to help us. All we have to do is ask. If you're in need of help right now in some way in your life, I want to encourage you, ask Jesus to help. He is right here today. He's available to all of us, and he wants to help us. Will you ask Jesus to help? Have you asked Jesus to help? 
And notice Jesus comes up over Peter's mother-in-law who's suffering from this high fever and he commands the fever to leave her and immediately the fever leaves and she is well enough to get up and actually start serving. That's a beautiful picture. We are delivered by God to serve, not to sit, to serve. Immediately she gets up and starts offering her guests, you know, food and drink because she's been delivered. She's been rescued. She's been saved from this fever. And so she wants to serve. Beautiful picture. And then we come to verse 40. Because the Bible says, after all of this, and now you can understand how we started off in verse 42, how Jesus needed to just get away. Because, <laughs> man, we all need that. You and I can't be out there ministering and pouring ourselves out to others without pulling back every once in a while and taking time for ourselves. And this is one of the things that we as Christians struggle with so much, and yet we end up getting in really bad places because we're out there all the time ministry-wise, but we're not spending enough time like Jesus did in solitary, quiet time with God to be able to get recharged, to go back into the battles and back into the, to the, to the people's lives that God has sent us to. So the Bible says in verse 40, as the sun was going down, there were droves of people bringing their family and friends to Jesus because they were in need of healing. They had all kinds of diseases. In fact, we learn later on even that there were still more that were being brought to him who were demon-oppressed or demon-possessed. And they were, again, screaming out and all of that because they recognized who Jesus was. But here's what I love. In verse 40, it says that they were bringing those that they loved to Jesus. I want you to note that phrase. You know, sometimes our greatest ministry is leading other people by the hand to Jesus. Maybe that's what Jesus is asking you to do right now, is that there's somebody in your life, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, a family member, a friend or somebody, and, and maybe they even already know Jesus. Maybe they're already a Christian, but they just... They just need to come to Jesus for something. They, they need that come to Jesus moment for healing in their life, for the healing that he can provide for them spiritually, emotionally, or physically. And your, your only job, if you will, is not to be the answer because Jesus is always the answer. It's just to lead people to Jesus. That's what they were doing. They were just bringing people to Jesus. What a great ministry. What have you done with your life? I just bring people to Jesus. And then I love this. It says, he laid hands on every last one of them and healed them. Notice a couple things. First of all, Jesus was not in a hurry. He was not looking at his watch going, oh, I need to be somewhere else. He took the time for every last single person that was brought to him. So you know what that tells me? He cares about every last single one of you today and those of you who are watching from your homes today, wherever you are. And he will take the time for every last one of us. He won't leave until we want to leave. He'll stay right here with us. 
And he will minister to you as long as you need to be ministered to and as long as you want to be ministered to by him because he's not in a hurry like we are. Because he understands that maybe the healing that needs to happen is so significant and so important that you can't face the rest of today or what's coming next week or next month or even next year without finally coming to him and letting him heal something in your life. And then I want you to see that word healed there. Because no one can heal us. Our minds, our hearts, our souls, our spirits. No one can heal us physically, emotionally, or spiritually like Jesus. He can bring a healing and wholeness that nothing or no one else can do. And this is part of this great story of Jesus that Jesus is not only showing us how to live our life and do ministry, he's also telling us, follow me, and you'll always find freedom, forgiveness, and fulfillment with me. There's no one else that we could ever walk with or talk with or fellowship with or have a relationship with like Jesus Christ. And Jesus right now, is calling all of us to come and follow him. Come and be healed. Will you come today and allow Jesus and his healing presence to heal something in your life today, whether it be physical, emotional, or spiritual? I'm not necessarily going to give an invitation because to me, if you've been part of our church for any length of time, you know you're always welcome to come here and do something with God or pray or whatever. But I will say this, today, if some of you want to come here, I will make sure that we spend some time praying over you before we all leave here today. Because Jesus wants to do some healing in this room or healing in your homes today. And this is the time. So let's make the most of the time that we have with Jesus today in his house. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And while they're coming, I'm going to ask you to just join me in prayer for just a moment. Father, we pray today that your son Jesus has been magnified in this place. That we have been reminded, Lord, of just how great, how awesome, how powerful our Lord and Savior Jesus is. That as Nicole even prayed earlier, there's nothing or too big or too great for him to handle in our lives. There's nothing beyond him. God, we can bring everything to you. We can cast all our cares upon you because you do care for us. And God, you can provide us with healing today. Maybe today we need to bring somebody else to Jesus. Take them by the hand and lead them to Jesus. Maybe we just need to come and be with you, Jesus, in some way. And, and Lord, we know that we don't have to leave our seats to do that, that you're here with us spiritually, but sometimes, Lord, it's just good to get up and physically move. Move to your moving, if you will, in our life. And so, Lord, we invite those that want to come today to come. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as we sing this...